uh, Moskowitz, uh, Rumble, or whatever, Rumble, uh, what is it, Rumble.com slash Moskowitz. There I am. Okay, we're live on Rumble. And I believe, we're, there we are, we're live on Getter. It's amazing what you can do in this day and age, you know. We take calls and also we take donations. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, no, no, don't send money. We're kidding there. I don't accept any money from anybody. Although, you know, since you brought it up, Mike, I do offer my books. <laughs> I am the author of over 20 books. They're available at Amazon Books, at Barnes & Noble Books, and at other online venues. And, uh, you know, you can check them out. If you see anything you think is interesting, why not throw a few bucks and purchase either the uh, the soft cover, the ebook, or in some cases, the hard cover. Okay, Michael D. Shaw is my guest. Michael, you often join me on Fridays at 3 p.m. And uh, you've got a science blog uh, up there, and uh, you, you're a, a, a very prescient commentator on issues of medicine and science. So uh, what, what's the deal with the baby formula, Michael? Well, you know, a lot of stuff has come out on that. Uh, I haven't been completely up to date, but it may fall into this, and I hope it doesn't. This, uh, and, you know, we use the term conspiracy theory. Most of them are coming true now. Yes. <clears throat> this idea that the food supply is being deliberately attacked. It, it does appear that there are have been recently a lot of very mysterious fires at major yeah. food manufacturing plants, both in this country and in Europe. Um, I don't know, you know, I, again, I mean, I, maybe I'm putting a little tin hat on here, but it just seems like it's, it's, it's uh, coordinated. Well, you know, you just have to go back to past experience. Uh, 10, 20 years ago, do you remember all these incidents at food plants? What happened? Well, there weren't any. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. so, so um, what's happening now? Um, what's different from the, uh, what has changed? Uh, there are just too many awful things that are going on, and this is completely unrelated. But what about this... Uh, story that it was the U.S. that blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that's that's right. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's now, uh, you know, to my way of thinking, that, that constitutes, it seems to me, an, an outright um, act of war. I mean, that's, uh, that makes, uh, that makes uh, Biden or whoever's behind him a war criminal. I mean, we could. Do you have any opinions regarding why they would have blown up the Nord Stream pipeline? And what a stupid theory! First of all, if you're going to do something like that, you better not get caught, right? The idea being, okay, uh, Russia gets income from this pipeline, so Russia bad, U.S. good. So let's cut off their this source of income. Never mind the millions of people it affects who are getting gas off this line. Mm -hmm. uh, that supposedly was the reasoning behind it. But you have people who are uh, mentally retarded, it seems, running international policy. So then what you're suggesting is that the reason why, according to Seymour Hersh's article, 
the CIA director and a few other insiders, I think he mentioned Jake Sullivan, that they wanted or they conspired to blow up the Nord Stream pipeline, which is not just some dinky pipeline. This is the most no, significant. It wasn't all blowing up, but there were enough damage done. To stop it. That, yeah. But the reason for that was that they wanted to damage the Soviet, the Russian economy uh, yes. in the in the midst of war with Ukraine. Uh, from my understanding, Russia and Ukraine were about to come to a peace agreement around, the yeah, around the time this was happening. So this might go to perhaps a more sinister agenda in terms of keeping a war going. You know, you have people like Victoria Nuland, Under Secretary of State, who was one of the masterminds behind the coup in 2014, where the duly elected president of Ukraine, Yanukovych, was removed from office. And, uh, and then trying to move Ukraine into the orbit of NATO, which, of course, would have been very bad for Russia, and Russia responds to that. And that, that there's this whole underlying tone that ultimately these world order globalists, the, uh, you know, the Newlands of the world, they want to have a regime change in Russia. And uh, you know, they're using Ukraine and the poor people of Ukraine as cannon fodder in this effort. Well, I'm sorry to say this kind of stuff goes on all the time, you know. Right. The, uh, and of course, it's all referred to as conspiracy theories, conveniently. Um, well, it's what Henry Kissinger once called, I believe, realpolitik. It's, yeah. uh, you know, in other words, it's like uh, this amoral international tectonic use of nations and colliding them into each other to create some kind of a new synthesis. I mean, it's the pos it's the policy of perpetual war for perpetual peace that was right. written about by um, historian Charles Austin Beard in the 1920s after World War One and after he uncovered the fact that uh, Wilson was on the you know, planning to intervene in that war from day one and that uh, you know he waited till after he was reelected before going ahead and doing it the United States had no business involved in that war I mean it was a European conflict and if anything our involvement not only further exacerbated it and dragged it out not bringing to the ruin and death of millions of people but it led to what they were planning in the first place, according to some of the war hawks in the in the in the um, Wilson administration, the uh, the establishment of a world government under the League of Nations, which failed because right. the United States didn't enter into it. So how much different is that, by the way, from World War Two and provoking Japan? No, not at all. I mean, creating a world government under the UN. Yeah, I mean, they, they were they were just. Uh, you know, trying to provoke a fight and get the United States in, even though most Americans were not interested. They were peaceniks, if you will. They were they were not they didn't want to see the United States embroiled in another war. And that included people both on the on the left and on the right, I may add. Yeah, it was it was pretty universal. Yeah. So and there so had to be a strategy thrown in there, which was Pearl Harbor. Right. And to this day, to this day, there are people of my generation uh, who were raised in the glow of the victory of World War II that refused to believe that 
Pearl Harbor was orchestrated? I think that it's been well documented. I think that for whatever reason, in the election of uh, 1944, uh, Thomas Dewey, the Republican, agreed not to bring it up, which he should have. Uh, but but it's been out there. Um, you know, it's, certainly it's on the record. Even the globalists will admit that in advance of Pearl Harbor, the United States put a complete uh, oil and gas embargo on Japan which uh, was an act of war, and that we were engaging in the Lend-Lease and the Atlantic Charter with Britain to help them fight in Europe against, against congressional authorization and uh, also an act of war. So we were, you know, you know just uh, our, not we, I mean, the American people weren't, but uh, the, the insiders in the U.S. government were just trying to invade the United States into another major war, and that uh, since World War II, we've been involved with probably upwards of 50 wars around the world. So so what's the big picture, though? I mean, what would, had this played out to the exact game plan of the globalists, what was their goal here? Well, I mean, I think that they want to, as I said, they want to take, they want to create uh, Russia as part of the world order, and it's not right now. Russia is independent. They're not buying into the kind of the globalist uh, agenda. They're, they're, in, they're separate from that. If anything, they're trying to rekindle their roots as a Christian Orthodox country. Um, you know, this is not a part of the agenda of the international order. Uh, you know, this is why they also had to get rid of Donald Trump, because Trump was one of the peaceniks. America first, right? Yeah. They even revised that name. The, the, the idea of America first was the loosely attended group of people, vast majority of Americans who did not want to get involved in a foreign war in the early 1940s. Well, the same thing was true with Trump. He did not get involved in any wars. There were no wars in the four years of the Trump administration. Uh, he wound down our, the business of ISIS by basically destroying it. Uh, and that, that basically Russia understood the unpredictability of the Trump administration. So they didn't engage in aggressive behavior against their neighbors. They didn't invade Ukraine. Trump actually helped Ukraine and he showed strength, but not in in the in the sense of of of, of uh, you know intervening and getting into a war. That policy had to be stopped, and they wanted, if anything, to set Ukraine up for an invasion and then start to send in the Abrams tanks, which is what they're doing no, now. No, so let me so let me ask you. I agree with everything you said. So, and I can understand the globalists in their amoral, evil glee are creating these plans, but what I don't understand, and this goes back to even Wilson, is the 150% acceptance of this by the elite media. Well, I mean, it's uh, the, the elite media, starting with the, in the time of Catherine Graham and the uh, mysterious suicide of her husband, who was starting to blow the beans, spill the beans and some of this stuff in the early 1960s, the, uh, they are what was revealed during the church committee hearings as the Mockingbird Media. The, right. church, the, the, the CIA had this operation, Operation Mockingbird, 
where they, and we only know the tip of the iceberg, where they would literally pay journalists cash in envelopes, you know, and in suitcases to cover certain yeah, stories. <laughs> yeah, like Mark Felt. No, like, uh, you know, they to, um, to cover certain stories in a certain way. And they would meet with them and they would they would get their stories covered. And there was testimony to this effect during the church committee hearing. You can see that testimony. I think it's still on YouTube. I was watching some of it, unless they'd censored it, where, where you know, you had CIA you know, people testify under oath, um, cross-examined, that, yeah, that's exactly what they were doing. And uh, a lot of that testimony has never been released. There's aspects of it that are not known. But the fact of the matter is that the federal government and its secret society, which is the national security state, it's legalized secret society, do tend to control opinion. They do control what is heard and how it's heard. And that's the media. And thus you have the media um, involved in this kind of globalist idea that we have to have, as, as, as Austin Beard said, perpetual war for perpetual peace. And that anybody that disagrees is either a radical left or right wing nut, or they're a conspiracy theorist. Well, you would think, but I guess, uh, why would you think? <laughs> how many times do you have to be lied to before you stop believing the source? <clears throat> let's let's go to more present day with COVID and the vaccines and so on. Yes. X number of lies come out of these agencies, but it still doesn't matter. Uh, we're going to listen to the CDC and the NIH and the FDA. Why? It's a very good question, Mike. I mean, and, and I wonder where, you know, where where is our where is our moral backbone? I mean, I've I've had a couple of guests on last week where we talked about this. Where is the Christian faith? Where is the Catholic Church? Frankly, you know, why didn't they stand up? I mean, in Boston, they used to be somewhat independent. I used to look to them as being kind of a moral arbiter when when it came to a lot of things going on in, in politics. But when it came to COVID, they were they rolled over faster than my synagogue. I don't expect much from my synagogue with due respect. Uh, they've been completely co-opted. In fact, yeah. there were a handful of bishops who uh, didn't go along with the party line completely, but they had to be quiet about it. But the church has been co-opted. They get a lot of money from the government. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, for reasons that logically make no sense whatsoever the vast majority of the bishops are hardcore liberals how'd that happen uh, <laughs> it uh, well it is not dissimilar from why so many jews are liberals well i mean look i understand that you know the jews don't have the central authority though we don't have a pope we don't have a college of cardinals that appoint these people and vet them i mean we, you know, with, 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 and the same thing is true with Protestant churches, you know, like, like here we have the, the, uh, the Congregational Church in Massachusetts, which is descended from the Puritan Church. Right. Some of them are extremely conservative. Others of them are far left of Stalin. I mean, it depends yeah. on who's the minister. It depends, it reflects the values of the people running that particular church. But the Catholic Church, I always thought was a little different. I thought it was somewhat well, impenetrable. It's, it's very easy to fall into the social cause situation. Yeah. And once 
Franklin Roosevelt uh, took over this kind of mentality that the government is going to provide and do all this great stuff for the poor people. Of course, what came out about 10 years ago was if you added up all the poverty programs, they spent $26 trillion and somehow poverty was still there. So we came yeah. up with the amazing conclusion that money doesn't cure poverty. Um, no, but it sure, it sure lined the pockets of a lot of liberal yeah. advocates <laughs> and liberal so, groups. There's all sorts of misinterpretations of the gospel. Uh, do you really think that Jesus would be in favor of people loafing around, not doing any work? Absolutely. I mean, the idea, and this was raised... Uh, by some people I was speaking to last week, mm -hmm. the notion of beggars on the streets now, unfortunately, is fairly common. But to be a beggar in New Testament times, you had to really be in tough shape because right. there was shame uh, that was connected with that. So um, to be a good person and to live the gospel values now, mm -hmm. They, they confused true charity uh, with what, what goes on. And this just became a process that there weren't enough people willing to stand up and fight for the true values. So the institutions all failed. And by 2023, I think that's about 100%. Right, I mean, right. It, I mean, it, it is almost a complete collapse. And... Uh, I don't know if it's it's simply uh, this kind of psychological element where people conform to, you know, the the, uh, the what they call in sociology the Overton window, I guess, or if it's something that's more sinister, like you know, money being paid in uh, envelopes and uh, you know, a kind of a infiltration of the church. I mean, the church stood against that for for centuries, you know, in their fight against Freemasonry and their fight against. Uh, other movements like that, which they rejected. Now it seems like even up to this present pope, it's uh, it, it's not. It, it it seems to have lost somewhat of its moral center. Anyway, and again, I feel a little reluctant talking about this as a non-Catholic, but I'm I, I'm well, saying no, I mean, everything that you're pointing out is is true. I think some of it um, is affected by the media culture. You know. If you're getting fewer and fewer people going to mass, <clears throat> maybe you have to come up with ways to bring back the crowd, and maybe you got to lighten up on on some of the doctrine. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying they all do, but it's human nature, okay? Right. Um, why you know if the people in the pews don't want to hear about hardcore morality every week. Um, and you're going to turn away. The theory is, which is not completely wrong. Well, it's better that their butts are in the seats now, at least, than turning them all off with trying to go hardcore. Uh, well, there should be some happy medium. I mean, well, you know, there are people that say no because that's just phony anyway. I mean, if you remember, uh, right after Vatican II, there was a mass exodus. Of clergy and lay people from the church, mm -hmm. uh, supposedly because, well, you know, I guess we're free to have conscience now or something. Right. So the numbers may, it's the old story. 
How many Catholics are there in the United States? 55 million? How many real Catholics are there in the United States? 5 million? I don't know. Well, I suppose uh, we could ask the same question regarding Judaism. It but... is nominally a Catholic. Yeah. Uh, she should have been excommunicated many, many times, but that doesn't occur. Well, look, a lot of the Catholic, <clears throat> the great Catholic leader leadership in this country, Joe Biden himself. I mean, the the, the Cuomo family, formerly of leadership, yeah, yeah. the the younger generation of Kennedys, they're all like, you know, I don't want to say pro-abortion, but they they take a position that liberal Jews take also certainly, which is that we personally condemn abortion based on our religion, but we don't oppose that. On, on the country, so we want to we, we'll stay out of it. Yeah, well, it was it was Mario Cuomo that came up with that yes. notion. Um, but but what is so? What's your opinion? Here's the problem, Mario. What's your opinion on abortion? Well, I personally oppose. Well, what what good does that do if you're in a leadership position? That's right. I mean, it's uh, why you know it, why have you there? Anyways, yeah. let me give out the number. You're welcome to call on these or any other issues you may chair, care to develop here. We do this Monday through Friday, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on TECN TV, the exceptional conservative network. 617-396-4958. Or if you want to send a chat on the chat line, we're up at rumble.com slash Moskowitz. Uh, so, Michael, I also wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on with Kerry Lake. Please. I mean, she's got the media is, is has a blackout on her lawsuit. Um, and also Abe Hamaday, the um, attorney general, they just finished a hand count audit of Maricopa County, and he clearly won. Uh, right now, that race stands as there's something like only 200 votes between him and the officially designated attorney general. And that's in you know Maricopa County. I mean, they really pulled a fast one over there. What happened is that the, uh, and maybe mistakenly, and maybe we should have seen it coming, but Kerry Lake and, um, and the conservatives, they all said, go out on election day and vote in person. That's how we're going to win this thing. Um, you know, the liberals will all vote early and then they'll be finished and we will come out en masse. And, but what they didn't, so, so the enemy was expecting it. They were waiting and they were laying in wait. You know, it's like uh, they were hiding in the grass. Yeah, that was very nice. Yeah, and they, they were just sitting there in the grass waiting to come out. And sure enough, on election day, they'd rigged the machines so that the uh, ballots w would jam them because they were printed on paper or they were printed. The actual print was too small for the machines to read. And the printing was done by the same people, by the way, who do the counting. And they are, they, they are openly uh, left-wing guys and you know and just, uh, contributors to left-wing candidates and causes. And the result was after after they published a heat map, apparently, on the wall of their corrupt organization there, showing where are the conservative precincts, right. the conservative precincts only had this problem. And about 
an estimate of 60% of them did not function on election day. So you had people waiting in line and leaving. You had people having their ballots spit out by the machine so they would have to put them in this mysterious box where they were then taken over to this printing house for counting. And then one day after the election, all of a sudden, there's something like 30,000 ballots appeared out of nowhere and entered into the system. It was done out in the open in broad daylight, and everybody knows it. And the reason that they had to stop Kerry Lake is because Kerry Lake was going to blow the whole whistle on this whole goddamn mess. She was going to blow it sky high. They had to stop her because if she was elected, she would have gotten, well, first of all, not only would she have sealed the border, showing the absurdity and evil of, of Biden, Obama's policy opening the, the, the border, but she would have looked into the fraud of 2020. And that would have got the ball rolling to a lot of other states. And they're not going to let that happen. They don't care if they have to do it in broad daylight. They're just going to do it. And that's exactly what they did. But so far, Kerry Lake and Abe Hamaday, the attorney general, they're not sitting down and taking it. She's got, she was, she had the law case presented in the, in front of, I don't know if I'd say he was a corrupt judge. I think he was a frightened judge. He probably had death threats to him and his family. And so he obviously dismissed a case where the evidence was overwhelming and did so on very dubious grounds. So she's in the appeals court and she's there now. That's happening this week or it's happening in into next week. It's kind of a news blackout on what's actually going down there. And I think that she's being a bit circumspect in terms of what she's talking about. But that case is going forward. And if it doesn't prevail, she says she's going to go to the Supreme Court. I think she will, because I think she's got a lot of guts. Well, she's got a lot of guts, and it's a big cause. Um, the other thing that is disappointing in all of this, not just the elections, is that I've concluded that most people really want to believe in authority. <clears throat> and in many cases, really want a totalitarian situation. Mm. Look at Australia and New Zealand. Uh, if you talk to the average person, their response on Kerry Lake or any other related matter is going to be, well, no, no, we, we, we can't lose faith in the process because then where are we? Well, that's the perfect rhetorical device. So then why bother even thinking about it? And it's, like I said a few minutes ago, every single institution has failed. And no one seems to care. It's it's very strange. I mean, I, don't, I wonder what has gone into that. Is, has it been many decades of psychological conditioning going back to MKUltra? Um, I don't know. I mean, there's a certain, you know, cowardice or, or somnambulance in people that they just don't want to stick their neck out. They don't want to have any trouble. There are real factors like you could get hurt. You know, you they, they hold up a few examples and, and of people who are being publicly rhetorically lynched and nobody right. wants to go through that. So you kind of just you you know, it's very it's almost subtle, it's almost not even conscious that you tend to put move your head away and, and, and keep your head low in order to protect the interests of your family and yourself. I understand that. I mean I, I get that. 
I, I see people that are, are doing that. You know, they're they're investing all this time and energy into having a career, into going to college, into, you know, building the equity in life. They don't want to risk it. Most people don't, you yeah. know. It's just that simple. And if they're yeah, going to... Change. I mean, it's easy for you and me to talk about no, it. I know. You and I are a couple of old farts. You know, we... I don't give a crap what people say about me now. I mean, I, you know, I don't have much to lose at this point in my life. I'm willing to, and you get that once in a while. But if I was, I don't know, maybe if I was just graduating college and I was in my 20s and I was looking for a job, you know, maybe I may not want to put my neck out so far. Maybe well, there's, there's that. And there's this other sort of thing when I wrote about the finality of evil and so on. Yeah. It's very easy for Hannah Arendt to talk about that. But if it comes down to the guard in a concentration camp that has orders to do so-and-so, and if you say no, you're going to be shot. Yeah, okay, Hannah, would you have done that? So, you know, it's one thing to talk about this stuff in theory, but in practice it gets very, very messy. And that's the problem. Maybe Carrie Lake can go through this and bring some changes and wow that's one state everybody yeah but that one state is going to be the linchpin it's going to be the one domino that's going to knock them all down and she's got one a lot of guts to to do this i mean i i you know there are some people that are like that monday i'm having on the show seth uh, keschel captain keschel who has been on this thing since day one He's got. A, he's a statistician. He's got all this data about how the election was stolen. There are a couple of people like that who are just stay. I mean, you and I. I mean, who just have stayed the course, no matter what, no matter how many slings and arrows. You know, we're just staying the course. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a couple of ways to to deal with it. Okay, I was able to conclude again going back to COVID. You know what? These agencies are all corrupt. Screw mm. them. And that's that. I mean, so I'm, I'm disengaging from that because there's nothing I can do to change it. I promise you that a large percentage of doctors quietly agree with me. Oh, yeah, they do. But they'll if they say anything, their heads will roll. Yeah, they're not going to say anything. And, and this is particularly insidious because we're not even talking here about politics. We're talking about human life. I mean, we're talking about something that can hurt people. And you know, we're seeing now with the Republican Congress, there are a couple of people who are starting to stand up and and take and take some vigorous stands. Um, right. who, who is that congresswoman from South Carolina, Nancy Mace? She yeah. delivered a hell of a, you know, critique uh, of uh, how Twitter was censoring doctors who were, you know, people like uh, Dr. Robert Malone, people like Dr. Peter McCullough. You know, these are Harvard, Stanford educated doctors who weren't bureaucrats. They were out doing medicine in the field. And did you notice the response of these robotic uh, Indian clones that they brought in? Yeah. Well, we wanted to keep disinformation away from the public. Um, well, that's a lie because they were quote, these well, are course. people. But the thing is that I don't know, they got away with this during the Democratic Congress. Maybe they won't now. But if you watch how they answer these questions, it's I mean, all formulaic. I mean, yeah. it's like a, 
you know, you know who's great? That Senator Kennedy from from Louisiana, uh, John Kennedy. He is funny and he's sharp, and yet he plays. He kind of plays this folksy kind of a guy. I think it's a little bit of an act, but it's very yeah. it's very effective. And he had on this nominee for the uh, for a federal bench. Oh who, yeah. Right? Did you see this? Yes. You know, the, the police kill one black man every day. She's uh, you know, defund the police, all these radical radical positions. And uh, he had all the goods on her and he challenged her with her quotes, but her response, I mean, maybe this, is this how people speak now, or is this something that's... No, this is a learned thing. Yeah, okay, I first mean... Of all, here's the trick. You have to waste time. So you get this, this question. Thank you very much, Senator, for asking <laughs> that question. All right, that blows 10 seconds. Yeah, exactly, right? yeah. And then you come up with some stupid response, uh, and it doesn't matter. And in the case of a federal judge, Maybe you will prevent, and I think they did prevent this woman from being a federal judge. Yeah. But on the other hand, if you go after the fact against all these hideous people at Twitter, hey, it's after the fact, you know what? I made my millions. You're a lowly congressman. I don't really care. You can't do anything about it. You and know something? It's. And they, they're very, you know, it's obviously very sophisticated in means of how to lie without lying and, and this whole dialectical yeah. approach. And, and uh, you know, in, in her case, I mean, her answer to um, Kennedy's comment about you, you said on this date at this time in this speech that the police kill at least one black man every day. Do you stand by that? And she said, well, I only said it as a rhetorical exercise during a debate. Whatever that means. Well, first of all, she's admitting that she was lying. What do you mean she only said, I mean, that, like that doesn't matter. It's, which well, reminds me. As we talk, it's the destruction of language. Right. And if I have to call a single human being they, then language has been destroyed. And if you destroy communication, you've destroyed civilization. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, look, the, um, you know, I, I tend to look at things from a biblical standpoint, from a Torah standpoint. And I will note that the very first command that God delivered to man in the form of Adam, even before Eve was created, was that he was to name all the creatures of the universe by name, use of language. And that is what made man different from all other beings on earth. The fact that we can intellectualize and rationalize and give things an abstract name by identifying them as real things. It's part of identifying basic reality. That is our ability. That's what makes us different from the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom, which is an emotional kingdom. They don't, there's no consciousness. We have consciousness, and the first act of consciousness is the use of language. Even right. Noam Chomsky admits this. I had him on my show. I think I've told you. Yeah. I wish I had a tape of it. <laughs> but yeah. he, uh, you know, he's one of the major left-wing uh, activists over the past 30, 40 years. Um, he, he's his theory as a linguist, uh, MIT linguist, one of the nation's most respected, 
is that language came about spontaneously. It didn't evolve. It just happened. Now, he doesn't say that it was God that made it happen, even though, by the way, he has a Torah background and had a very conservative Jewish education as a young man. But putting that aside, he acknowledges and states that this is how it happened. It wasn't evolved. And when I had him on my show, I brought this up to him right away. I said, how do you, I said, your theory of linguistics, the spontaneous um, occurrence of language is quite consistent with the biblical story of creation. And it seems to contradict the Darwinian approach. And he went ballistic. I mean, it was fireworks. Anyway, yeah. I wish I had it on tape. You should have had a recording of that. Yeah, I know. Uh, so, you know, to get into a conspiratorial of this, <laughs> the more you destroy language and communication, then I suppose the idea is at some point, Comrade Stalin has to take over and protect you from all this. But it well, is it's confused. It confuses not only society, but I think it confuses the individual biologically. It's it it literally does something to the brain. If you're going yeah. to misuse language oh, in a deliberate whole... way, exactly. And um, the sad part of it is that all these woke morons don't seem to understand that that's what's behind it. All right. I can't say this and I can't use this term and on and on and on. And if you say something, it's violence, whatever. So you're destroying communication. And they somehow think that, no, it'll it'll go here, but no farther. Okay. All we're asking is you call this transgender freak they. Okay. That's all we want. Oh, sure. So you're saying that that one person is more than one person. I mean, and, and, you know, it's I mean, I remember a while ago, a very leftist relative of mine told me not to use the term illegal alien. Right. In spite of the fact that that actually is the legal term that is used by the government in writing. They haven't changed that. It's still there. But it made this person uncomfortable. They wanted to use a euphemism you know, an undocumented immigrant or, or something like that. And and it's when you hear euphemisms, you know, they're hiding something, you know, yeah. I mean, the only I mean, I the only like a proper use of euphemisms are when you're discussing things like sex, or you're talking about bodily functions, you know, because it's not polite, you know, you want to be polite. Yeah. You know, when you say I have to go to the bathroom, that's fine. We know that you're going, you're not just, we know what you're probably doing there. We don't need the details or I need to go to the restroom, whatever. Or, you know, when you have, we're talking about sex, you use euphemisms, you know, Johnny went home with Janie, right? You know, we don't say what they were doing at home or even Johnny and Janie slept together. They're not talking about the part of the evening where they were sleeping, Right. <laughs> in other words, it's okay to use euphemisms in polite company when you're talking about things like that because they're personal and it's not polite to get into specifics. But when you hear euphemisms in politics, you know they're covering something up. They don't want to talk about what actually is going on. And the classic example of that is the issue of abortion, right? Oh, 
I mean, what are they aborting? Is it are they aborting a flight because of a, a hurricane? Are they aborting a, a rocket ship because there's the weather isn't right? No. So I mean, the term abortion is a descriptive. It's not what's actually happening. And and then of course they then get into even making euphemisms on top of euphemisms. It's no longer polite to say the word abortion. Now it has to be reproductive freedom. Right? Yeah, they used to say pregnancy termination, but that was too direct. But precisely. Yeah, so, most of the time, terminating a pregnancy is when you give birth. That's that's <laughs> right, and even that's and it's kind of a euphemism to say that because they're not saying what they mean by terminating. You know, who's doing the terminating and who's being terminated? So, so what you're implying here, and I think you're right, is that the euphemisms was a way to get to this woke thing where this makes me uncomfortable. Well, let mm. me tell you something about that. All right. The fact that you're uncomfortable really doesn't involve me. I mean, how is that different from you telling me, Mike, you know, my neck hurts? Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I can't do anything about it. Right. You know? So I don't understand where at what point the fact that you're uncomfortable matters to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, it depends what I'm doing. If I try to suffocate you, that's one thing. But for the use of words, and <laughs> it is just uh, very insidious. Yeah, and it's the it's the end of civilization them. because we we're not taught. We need to speak plainly and directly. And you know, I mean, it's kind of almost humorous. It reminds me in politics of of our our, our former governor of Massachusetts. You might have heard of him, Michael Dukakis. Right. Oh yeah. Went down in infamy and all. We know that, but actually a nice guy in person. I've met him a few times. Uh, he would make reference to what he called revenue enhancements. Yes. Right. Now, what is a revenue enhancement? <laughs> Who's whose revenue is being enhanced? Yeah. You know, wow. it's like right. I mean, he's talking about raising taxes. You know, or, or the or the Kennedy Center who gives out an award every year in courage, profiles in courage to someone who a politician who had the courage to raise taxes. You know, it's it's like these things are euphemisms. It's courage. I mean, yeah, well, it was it was like in, in JFK's book, you know, profiles in courage. It's it's always very nice to talk about this stuff after the fact. <laughs> but uh, you know, if Robert Taft. Of course, he died anyway. Right. If he had been given the nomination instead of Eisenhower, I think things may have been different. Yeah. But it, you know, it's nice to look at this in a rearview mirror. But the John Birch Society believed that he was assassinated, by the way. But that's that's another story. And that's a little shaky because he was not the healthiest <laughs> guy in the world. But right. Whatever. Yeah. Who knows. But, but as I get older, I'm believing more of these conspiracy theories. I mean, it would have changed, you know, when you see somebody who is in a position to change the course of history and they all yeah. of a sudden are no longer on the scene, you know, it's not that they necessarily were assassinated, but you have to ask. You know, I mean, I have a book that I wrote about this, uh, 31 cases or 32 cases where there either was an assassination openly, like the case of Kennedy, of course, and, and Lincoln, I look in history, 
or there were cases where it was suspected and why, or a case where there was an attempt and not successful and why. And uh, so, you know, you have to. I mean, that's what the media is supposed to do. We're not supposed to just sit around and, you know, ha- you know, and talk about uh, our favorite food and our favorite color. You're supposed to investigate these things rather than criticize people who are doing the investigation. I mean, the Kennedy assassination the, in the aftermath, that's what gave birth to this attack on people who were involved in, quote, conspiracy theories, unquote. Right. Right. Because they were questioning the uh, the Warren Commission and the single the single bullet. Um, you know, but, but that's what you're supposed to do in a free country. That's why we have media so it can examine and uncover potential corruption. Maybe they'll find it there. Maybe they won't. But we need to know. Anyway, well, before we before we I want to give out the number, by the way, if anybody out there, especially people on TECN TV, um, if you want to call in and share a euphemism that, that has come to mind, 617-396-4958, 617-396-4958. Or if you want to talk about anything else, if you want to talk about some of my programs this week, I had Dr. E. Michael Jones on yesterday. That's always controversial. Um, you can hear that. It was pretty good. You held his feet to the fire. I think so. I mean, I got some criticism. People thought I was being too nice. But, you know, I don't think you need to come on and, and start swinging at people. I mean, I think you. I think I, I listened back to it because I, I take that seriously. And I think that I took him apart piece by piece. You know, I mean, I, I think I made my positions known, as did he. And that's all I can do. I mean, that's what that, to me, that's what radio does. You have two people present their opposite positions, and then you let the listener decide based on what they've heard. I trust right. people to do that. But, uh, you know, he's always obviously controversial. We, we totally disagree completely on the Jewish question. Although I do agree with him on a lot of other things, which, but he's become very obsessed with this in recent years. And he's become almost a, a preeminent anti-Jewish figure. So well, the trouble with a lot of these guys, yeah, and Michael Hoffman was another example that he would look into certain historical things and he'd be right, and the, but then he'd get obsessed with this Jewish thing, right? And um, the trouble with being obsessed is that it clouds your judgment on on other matters. I mean, when Jones talks about talked about specific examples of what certain Jews did, uh, I, I don't think it makes the case for this widespread uh, con- con- condemnation. Um, well, he makes the case that, and it's a traditional Orthodox Christian case, that the Jews are a, um, a revolutionary spirit because they are responsible for the killing of Christ. I get that. I mean, I think that it's, you know, I mean, it's something that whether they were implicated in it or not, they didn't do it because they believed that that Jesus was God. They did it because they thought he was a heretic. They thought that he was threatening the order of the Jewish world at that time. And the time was a very difficult time, occupied by the Romans. 
And uh, whether or not they were right to do it, the point is that they didn't do it because they thought that they were killing, you know, the Messiah. And uh, I, I think that's a point that's missed in this. And well, in the in in the very scriptures, uh, when they call out for his crucifixion, uh, and and Pilate says, "Shall I crucify your king?" Uh, and they say, "Their only king is Caesar." And let his blood be on us and <clears throat> on our children. Right. Uh, that always had the double meaning that you can determine that, yeah, just a you know, blood oath here and it's going to haunt you throughout history, or let his blood be on us, referring to Holy Communion. So. Well, look, uh, I, I don't quite know what to make of that other than to say that. Um, you know, it's it's it is canon in Christian law because it was ascribed to I think Peter, who was the one that said this to a group of people after Jesus's crucifixion. Um, however, it happened. The idea that the Jewish people would say that is not really a Jewish thing. The actual Torah, the Torah, one of the great reforms of the Torah itself, and there were many. And I'm actually getting into this now. I'm writing another book. On, actually on Judaism, so I'm delving in, um, is this idea that that a people and a person are not to be held guilty for the sins of their fathers and grandparents. Correct. In other words, the, the sin is residing with the committer of the sin. You know, I don't like, I wouldn't hold a German today guilty for the sins of Hitler. Now, people what about in, a black person now for slavery? Right, I would not. You know, right, exactly. I mean, we, we have to put things, you know, you, you hold people responsible for who they are. And, uh, you know, you, you look at history and you learn from it, but you cannot, you know, the idea of, of punishing a people, an entire people for a sin, if it in fact was, that was committed in previous generations, that is not only not something that the Jewish people think in terms of, but it's something that the Torah clearly and explicitly opposes. Well, so, the same thing in Catholic theology. You cannot confess the sins of another person. Right, of course. I mean, this is, and they probably derived it from the Torah. But the point is, so that so to say today that the Jewish people, 2,000 years later, are collectively guilty of this sin of 2,000 years ago runs contrary not only to the Torah, but it's not likely something the Jews would have said because they don't think in those terms. You know, we don't think, oh, we'll take on the sins forever. That's not a Jewish thing. So, so I think what happened there is that the New Testament was written probably at least a half a century after the crucifixion. And it was at a time when, for better or for worse, or for lack of word, there was a divorce between the two Jewish groups right? A bitter and acrimonious one at that. Those being the believers in Jesus and the the rabbinic Jews. And there were some very nasty and, and bitter things that were written about and said on both sides. Right. Now, you have to take it in the context of that time. Um, and and as I said to, to Michael Jones, it, the fact that Pope Benedict XVI Actually, you know, Joseph Ratzinger actually disavowed some of this stuff in a posthumous book. 
I see that as a miracle. I see that like the Pharaoh, like God softening the heart of Pharaoh. You know, the, the, the Catholic Church specifically and Christianity, they're moving on from this kind of view of condemnation of the Jews. That doesn't mean you have to change the scripture or the canon. It's still there. It should be understood. There are things in the Talmud that I that make me queasy. You know, I mean, it's just these are things that were said at a time and in a context. You know, I mean, the Jews, they say, well, I heard um, this anti-Jewish uh, commentator. What's his name? The guy is blonde. He's, he's um, Adam something. I don't know if you've ever heard him. He's like the Jews are genocidal because in the Torah, in the Sinai, they were ordered to kill the Amalekites. Well, you know, first of all, they were doing, they were ordered to do it by God. They weren't doing it because they wanted to do it. They actually didn't want to do it. God told them to do it for reasons that we can't know. It was at a particular time in a particular place. There are no more Amalekites. If someone is going to tell me today that someone's an Amalekite, I'll have them locked up in a loony bin. You know, this is this is history. So nobody is saying that anybody should be killed today. There was a particular something going on. I don't the Amalekites that they had committed a crime that was so grievous and so disruptive of the world order. Same thing with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why did yeah. God want them to be wiped out? Because they had become so corrupt, so evil, so dismoored of any kind of moral underpinning that they threatened to infect the entire human race and so god commanded that they be wiped out god isn't commanding anybody to wipe out anybody today and and if you think he is you should be committed that's not happening so i just yeah, think I, we need to put it into a context yeah well that's that's well taken anyway. uh, a breaking news story of course yeah. is a an object object was shot down over Alaska. Uh oh. So I guess they figured it was better to do that than to let it traverse the entire continental United States. Right, and go up against uh, military bases. Yeah. In uh, apparently right outside of St. Louis, and now we find out that uh, the 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 communist Chinese are buying property near military bases. Yeah. I mean, this has been going on for a while. You know, this isn't just yesterday. But anyway, Mike, we'll follow that story. Um, I want to uh, mention, of course, my books, my books, my books. They're available at Amazon. You can check them out. That's how I get sponsored here. I don't have a sponsor other than my books. Although I might be getting Zev Zelenko's uh, supplements. I'm working on that. But Well, good. I, and, and as to your books, I haven't read all of them. But... There's a, they're extremely informative, easy reading. Thank you. I mean, it's a very narrative style. <laughs> it's not like reading Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, free-flowing prose. You make a lot of good points, and uh, it's well-researched. Thank you, Michael. What do you have up on your blog, on your uh, Substack these days? Well, I, uh, again, after going through this, this move, selling the business and so on, I've been a little tardy. The last thing I, I did was really from a couple of weeks ago, uh, applying that banality of evil thing to the COVID situation. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and you know, one thought that occurred, it wasn't specifically in the article, but uh, how does your fellow Bostonian Rochelle live with herself? Remy, what's the psychology behind that? Does she tell herself she's on this, the right side and she didn't intentionally want it? How did these people get themselves up for doing this? They, they live in some kind of a, a, a bubble. I mean, they, they've been corrupted early on. I mean, there are things about her I'm not going to talk about right now, but I know about it as a Bostonian. Um, you know, but let's just say that um, there are certain profiles of people who get into this establishment and who benefit from it, and um, they, they can't do any wrong. You know, they just, it doesn't even enter the scene. And they're protected, and they're they're they become beloved figures, and they become they they become uh, psychopaths. I mean, they're, they're egocentric. You know, they're propped up by the media. They see their fat face on television, and they just become they come in love with their own image instead of taking a look at who they actually are. I mean, it's it's an old phenomena. Anyway, well, what do you think happens down the road when she's no longer head of the CDC? She's twenty years older. And she's uh, she'll go off and live in uh, in Martha's Vineyard and, and go to parties with James Taylor. And uh, and there won't be a reckoning until the, until the next life. That's when it'll happen. <laughs> no, have, I guess you're right. They'll have their their Chablis parties and their their Brie. And, you know, that's the way it is. I mean, they'll they'll never be. Do you think think the, the Clintons are ever going to be held accountable for anything? I mean, anyway, Mike, uh, but um I want to thank you all for joining me. We're kind of toward the end here. Um, I want to thank. I like this new platform. Yeah, this is. I'm using Streamyards, which is I do an end run. I don't have to worry about Zoom anymore, um, and it's a good. It's solid, and and it's apparently better for for my good friends over at TECN TV. By the way, if you'd like to uh, check out my archive, go to uh, Rumble. Uh, rumble.com slash Moskowitz. You're always welcome to contact me, charlesmoskowitz at gmail.com with comments. I've got some very interesting guests coming up. I'm into it now. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in every day. So Michael Glennon. Oh, I know. I, I, I'm trying to, I don't think he'll come on, but I'm trying to work, build up the nerve to contact him. I mean, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, he's, his double government it lays it out in ways that you and I and conservatives never could. And he's a major insider type of a guy. So, Mike, again, thanks for joining me as always. Thank you. And it's always good. We'll talk next week. Sounds good to me. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you, everybody, and have a great afternoon. God bless you all. Thank you.